Millennials are now the biggest age demographic in Canada, but it's rare that you hear them talk about what they think of their own generation. My name is David Birnbaum. Welcome to The Safe Space. With me today are Mark Grady, Prarthana Chandran, and Shira Stemmer. I want to start with a simple question. How do you feel being called a millennial? What does that bring up for you? It's kind of something that I've just owned at this point. You know, I'm you know, a proud person in general, and I don't really let, you know, I know where you're going with this question. There's so much negative connotation behind the term millennial. The word entitled almost like fits in front of the word naturally. So um, no, I don't, I don't really let it bother me too much. I'm a millennial. It's just uh, a definition of the age demographic that I'm in, like you were saying. I know that you've expressed different opinions on that. Yeah, so I am at, I guess, the forefront of the millennial time period, and I don't actually consider myself a true millennial when I think about, you know, those who are 10 years younger than me. I feel like those really fit the stereotype of what a millennial is, but I do understand that even people within my own age group, um, being born in the mid-80s, we do carry some of the generation before us and also some of the qualities and characteristics of the millennial generation. So I feel like I'm kind of in this transient uh, period of the millennial generation. Yeah, for me it really like, it does come down to, it's just fairly arbitrary, like any of the generations, they kind of just define it. But there, there has been these negative connotations of what millennials are and what I really want to try and get at here is you know, what do we think we are? You know, whether or not you like it and whether or not we like it, according to like the definitions of our generation, we are all a part of it. And it, isn't it really up to us to define what our generation will stand for? And obviously, you know, you can never really do that. There's so much, um, there's so much diversity among any group of people, but really when it comes to things like politics and when it comes to just how we want to exist in society, we do have to kind of figure out, you know, what will our expectations be of ourselves and of our society because we're going to be in control of it at some point and it, we could be in control of it now. So, you know, what kind of things sh do we hold our own generation accountable for? What, you know, what do we think a millennial should be and what do we think about those common stereotypes of our generation? You know, when you put it like that way, like it becomes exciting because now we can like control our own future instead of just having our parents tell us this is who you are, this is what you do. But now it's like we can take an active role in going out and changing our workforce or changing the way we view the environment. Or we can take a stance and we can be responsible for things. That's actually really exciting when I think about it from that perspective. I find that often perception becomes reality. So if people perceive the millennial generation to be entitled, lazy, self-important, whatever you think, you've heard as the negative connotations around millennials that almost gives some people within that generation an excuse to then present those qualities because why would they be anything different than what people already assume them to be so I like your position on finding that exciting that we can kind of redefine and re um, kind of divert people to thinking of millennials as a more positive group of people we're young we're engaged we're excited we are independent and maybe we're entitled, but maybe that leads to some other better things. And the other thing that I think is every generation before thinks negatively about the generation after. So you have the baby boomers who hated the Gen Xers or whatever came next because in their eyes they were entitled and self-important and not responsible. So I think it's just a natural 
the, just the natural way of generations that you always think that you had it tougher and the newest generation has it easier. And now we're in that newest generation and those constructs have been put around us. So we're almost hyper aware of it because of how our society is with social media and all that kind of stuff. Whereas before, like, you know, our parents were also entitled in their parents' eyes, for example. Yeah. I think, you know, a key thing we talked about is responsibility. And, you know, are millennials responsible? I think that's an interesting thing because, you know, a lot of my friends, I don't, and me as well, I don't know if I'd be considered responsible. But also, how do you define that? We've often let the older generations define what is responsibility, but what do we view as responsible? You know, it used to be that by 25 to 30, you, ha you were married with kids. That was what a responsible person did by that age. But that's just not the case anymore. So, you know, what should I as a 25-year-old be doing to be responsible? I think uh, there's so much less uh, emphasis on responsibility and you were saying starting a family and things like that when you're young because, um, because we do have it harder now, you know, from a financial perspective, we're carrying more debt than any of previous generations had, and um, the expectation, societal expectations, like going through school, uh, like go going through university and, and things of that nature. Um, so we don't, we're not really focused on starting a family and doing all these things that were um, a, pri a primary, res uh, primary focus and a responsibility for our parents. I think it's delayed. Yeah. So that's still there, but I mean, I'm 32, and it's now at 30, 31, 32 that my friends, our age group, are entering that. So it's almost delayed by five, six, seven years from what it was for our parents' generation, right? Like by my age, my mom had all three of us, whereas I only know a handful of people in my social network that have young children. It's everybody's getting started kind of now. And you always hear about the older generation like reminiscing on back when they were our age and they had such a good time. It doesn't give me any reason to like want to, even though that may be irresponsible, I don't actively go to pin myself down uh, on anything with that in mind. You know, my dad always reminisces about when he was in his 20s and doing his thing, right? Yeah, I think one thing, uh, it, you know, talking about settling down is kind of what is viewed as responsible like that those kind of go hand in hand in society but you know there's lots of people who are 40 and bachelors or whatever that why are they irresponsible but on the topic of settling down one thing I think is quite interesting is you know I think a reason we're settling down later is because we're being allowed to figure out who we are first it used to be you were kind of forced into marriage, um, not forced into marriage, but people got married young. They didn't necessarily go to university and they figured out who they were at that time or they didn't. A lot of people repressed who they were. Um, I was actually talking to my grandmother about, you know, she only now in her 70s is starting to figure out who she is because her life was she got married and had kids. And it's only now she has that flexibility. We have that flexibility, you know, in university and with all of the movements and the, the rights that are being granted to, you know, LGBTQ people and everything else. It's like I have the time to really figure out who I am, which kind of is good, but it delays when you can then settle down. I'm hopeful that it will make for more successful marriages and more successful relationships and the you know, 50 plus percent divorce rate will actually go down because you will be secure in yourself and who you are and your partner will be secure in themselves and who they are and you're entering in your relationship when you're at an older age and you've defined for yourself what qualities you're looking for, what you're willing to compromise on. So I really do feel that 
it's not a negative thing that it's been delayed, the settling down and being more irresponsible in your 20s to kind of get it out of your system or however you, you think about it. I really do feel that it'll make for more successful relationships moving forward because you won't just be settling, right? Yeah. I think like one way we can articulate like the difference between the previous generation and like ours is even that like the pattern of life has changed. Like you were mentioning, like nowadays we go through school and then you're expected to get higher education, like university, college, something, and then settle down or else you're not going to be able to afford it in our eyes. Um, and then you start with your like the rest of your life. But in the olden days, like they would get married, right? That was like the first thing. Mm -hmm. And so like now we like you're saying that we like have more time to like mature by the time that we settle down. Um, so like our generations are different, but I think there's also like frustrations within our generation as like a result of this new pattern of life. Um, even if it's like settling down at a later stage, like I know so many single people, like including myself, who are like, oh, why can't we just find someone and be settled with someone? Because we're looking for like that perfect person for us, yeah. right? So there's like a whole new slew of challenges that come our way also. Well, I also think that the dating sphere has significantly changed. Like, I was single and dating when Tinder appeared in the world, and it totally threw everything for a loop because then you're not building quality relationships and quality rapport with people. It's cool, you're nice, but there's 10 other shiny new people I, I also want to get to know. But I really do think that when, and this, I'm newly married, so when you find that person, you know. Like, I met my person when I was 29 years old. Right, and I went through the frustrations and the relationships and everything, and I really do feel like if you, it's tough, right? But don't lose hope at 24. Like people shouldn't lose hope at 50 because. One of the like terms that came up with our generation was emerging adulthood. Mm -hmm. This new age of you're not quite an adult because you're not you know settled down and responsible is this emerging adulthood where you're finding yourself, um, and. You know, with, paired with that has been Tinder and social media in general has really impacted our lives. Not just social media, but we're the first generation that really grew up with the internet in and of itself. And that was just so revolutionary and it's really impacted our lives. And it's not just dating, it's, you know, it's interesting to read about the generation after us. And, you know, it's been called many different things. but they have a lot of worse problems as well because they're only engaging with each other through social media, right? Like, I grew up playing on the street with my friends and then all of a sudden it was video games, everything's online. That happened while I was growing up, but now that's all the kids know, really. They're losing that human-to-human -human connection overall. Yeah, it reminds me of that uh, article. I forget um, who had published it, but it was... Uh, it had come out in the summer and it was basically about how cell phones have impacted um, teenagers now. And, you know, they were talking about things like teenagers who are in grade 12 now are going out less than when we were in grade 8. Mm -hmm. So even other things like um, teenagers are less likely to um, get their driver's license right, right away. They're getting it over a year later on average. So it's just interesting how social media has impacted that, the social aspect of all that. It's good that we recognize it, though, at least. Yeah, for sure. I feel like there's going to be a shift, and I've actually had this discussion with my friends. So I think because our generation, or the earlier, the millennials, like my age group, we, um, old millennials, um, we grew up when there was no internet, there was no Facebook, there were no cell phones, and 
we've all kind of collectively agreed, at least in the conversations I've had with different groups of people, that when we eventually have kids, we want to instill what we grew up with in our children. So I feel like in the next, you know, 10 years, as we start having kids or our kids get to an age, it will be more controlled and monitored and we will send our kids outside to play on the street with their friends because that's what we grew up with. Whereas I think the kids now, their parents grew up never knowing any of this because everything entered their lives when they were already well in adulthood. So it's easy to stick an iPad in front of your kids because you don't know yourself what that does to yourself and your development and all that kind of stuff. So I feel like there, there might, might be a shift back to kind of the, the way things were. And for even, younger kids. even when we were growing up, and that's, I think, the problem for the next generation as well, we knew the technology better than our parents, mm -hmm. right? Like, they could try and put parental blockers, and I could get around them. <laughs> and, like, they really didn't even know the implications or how to prevent me from doing the things I wanted, what websites I'm going to, you know. One thing I talked about with some other people was these YouTube challenges, and kids, you know, I watched a video of the top 10 most lethal YouTube challenges because kids were just seeing the stuff and replicating it and some people died. And that was, you know, at our age when it was developing, but now it's all there. Like people have access to all of this kind of stuff. I was talking to somebody yesterday whose kid likes watching videos of other kids playing with dolls instead of playing with dolls herself. So that's to the like it's kind of twisted. How that's so this, twisted. How old is this kid? The kid that's is like three videos? or four years old. Wow, that's so, incredible. Kids and that's, YouTube is like a whole crazy it's industry. Crazy. Yeah. It's one of the it's the fastest growing piece of YouTube is kids content. Yeah. And they've even had like there's just so much bizarre stuff going on there as well with advertising and people targeting bad content for kids. But it's also just, you know, I see so many parents who the kids crying throw a screen in front of them. Because but like how does that relate to you know, uh, if a kid, when we were kids, was thrown in front of a TV, right? Like, some parents did that too. They said the best babysitter was, is a television, right? The kid can sit there and Not watch Not gonna get TV. into trouble, right? Mm -hmm. I think the only difference is that a television had maybe 60 channels. Now the, the internet is and it's infinite, right? Everything that's on t cable TV is PC. Like, right. everything's going to be okay. I mean, the worst thing was, like, The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whereas now, like, kids, you can put your parental controls in place, but what's to prevent that three-year-old from clicking and clicking and clicking and clicking yeah, and getting to getting something to that they shouldn't be seeing when they start watching, you know, Peppa Pig or whatever it and is? And the average parent definitely does not have much awareness in that department at all, I would assume. Yeah. I mean, I... I am not a parent, but I don't think that's a priority for a parent that's dealing with a young child, right? Hence the iPad in the first place. I know a lot of um, young parents with like toddlers, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, and their kids are like constantly on the iPad because that's how you keep your kid busy, right? And um, one of the mothers was telling me like, yeah, my son will click on this video, and by the time I come back, leave the room and come back, he's watching something else. And he's what, like two years old? And you know, like the content that can get into their brain, like it affects them and it's good to be aware of that. So hopefully there is that change in the way we parent our children. I know I'm gonna let my kids go outside all the time. Yeah. Like I'm, yeah. And, and one more thing, um, you mentioned like, there are only like 60 channels on the TV, mm -hmm. but like, yeah, even like when my parents let me watch TV, it was limited to like half an hour, one hour, right? So limits are like good, they're healthy, I think. Mm -hmm. That's what we had growing up as well. We had like an hour of computer time a day. That's what we were allowed. Not you have your phone, like most kids have a smartphone now and they have anything they want all of the time, which is, you know, quite bizarre. And do we, do we trust the kids to 
only use that for good things, only be safe. I know like even- You can't, there's no point trusting because it's addictive. They develop addictive qualities, right? So um, they'll, they'll keep coming back to it anyway and there'll be new content. Like we've discussed this before, these uh, big tech companies know how to socially engineer their product to make it addictive, right? So it's a, that's a whole other issue that needs to be dealt with. Too. Yeah, that's definitely a whole other issue. And I want to try and bring it back to like, you know, different things about our generation. And I want to bring it back to the workforce. And one thing I think I find quite interesting is millennials quite often want these flexible work environments, right? And you see a lot of the big tech companies doing it. And I hear it's like, you know, these entitled millennials that they want more breaks and things like that. I think that's actually kind of backwards. I think that wanting a flexible work environment and wanting work-life balance is actually a really good thing. And that, you know, right now, the older generations might not agree with what we do with our time. Let's say I have a flexible workspace, so I want to party more. And the, maybe that's what I'm using my time for now, but 10 years from now, I'll have kids and I'll be using that time to be more engaged with my family and with my community. So why wouldn't they, instead of telling us we're wrong with the, what we want, be fighting for the same things? You know, If I'm 40 and I have kids, don't I want to have more flexible work hours to spend more time with my family? Mm -hmm. And in terms of wanting like flexibility of the schedule, um, I, was at a, I was at a training course at our workplace, surprisingly enough, and the, the coach was telling us there's a difference between the baby boomers, for example, and like our millennial generation. And so in, in that generation, um, they were taught that when you go to work, you're always trying to impress your boss. Like that's your goal, you're gonna please your boss. And so the question that you ask your, if your boss tells you, um, go do this, you're gonna say, okay boss, how do I do this? But with our generation, when our employers tell us, go do this, we say, why boss like why am i going to go do this like give me a good reason like back it up like i want to know so that might be a good thing for us because we're trying to get understanding of the situation so i think we're aware um i don't think we're stupid as yeah. millennials i yeah. think that kind of asking why attitude though is where millennials get a negative connotation put on them as being these like entitled troublesome employees because we're asking why instead of saying okay no problem in my work environment i'm lucky that i work in an environment that is relatively flexible you know we have core business hours but you can choose to kind of flex your schedule around those um and we do incur we do work in an environment where it's encouraged to ask the whys right why are we doing this how can we do it in a better way instead of just you know, pushing our button, taking our paper, moving into the next person and off you go. So I think there's a mind shift that needs to happen around asking why and considering it leading to maybe a more efficient way of working, a more efficient organization. And in terms of the flexible work hours and things like that, I think that there will be the people who will be more productive when they can work their flexible hours. Some people work, I answer the most emails between seven and nine at night. During the work hours, I, I, I'm not as productive. There's too many things happening around me in the office, so if I need to focus, it's in the evening. Whereas some people may take advantage of the flexible work hours and not put in their time, or they may, you know, within those flexible hours, be as productive in one hour as another employee, employee may be in eight. So I think that there has to be definitely a balance where you meet your business requirements, but you, you do have a work-life balance. Let's go back to that point though for a second because 
some people might think we're lazy, but I don't think we're lazy. Like if we look at like our lives even, right? Like if I look at my life, like I when even if I want to work certain hours, like I don't think I'm lazy. I still put in effort because I still want results to achieve, right? Like I still want to get where I want to get. And yeah, so what do you guys think? Like do you think that our generation is just lazy or I don't I think that's a sign of in, uh, in terms of the asking why, I think that's a sign of engagement. Mm -hmm. And in terms of I think because we ask why, I don't think we're lazy. We just see the problems in the system. You know, why do I have to work 40 hours a week if I only have 15 hours of work to do? That's the company's fault, not my fault. Like there's no point in me sitting there for 40 hours a week just because, right? Maybe they need to restructure, maybe if they want every employee to work 40 hour weeks, create a structure that that's actually required. But I think a lot of this mentality is just that old school mentality of the work week. And you actually see a lot of the tech companies are moving towards flexible work environments, but you also can see that um, other, like old school companies that are some of the like best managed companies that are always on the forefront of changes, they've been adopting flexible workspaces as well because they know it's beneficial. And I work in a flexible uh, work environment and it's great for, you know, it's great for me, but it's also great for all of the employees. Their kid is sick, they can stay and work from home and take care of their sick child and not be worried about how that impacts their work. And there's so many other benefits to it. So I don't, I don't view it as lazy, I view it as pragmatic, honestly. Yeah, it's up to the company to determine how the output of an individual, right? And so if they're not meeting expectations, if they're not doing, if they're not doing their job, then the company needs to step in and be uh, expedient about that. But I'm sure there are many studies out there that say, well, I'm not sure really, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, otherwise, these companies wouldn't be implementing um, these work environments and allowing people to, um, you know, set their own hours and having you know, like the Google campus with all of the, all the amenities that it has and things like that. You also have to think that like we're thinking through the lens of our jobs, which I work in an office, you work in an office, you work in an office, I know you work in a plant. I currently don't work in an You don't work in an office? I'm working from home right now. Okay, so you're yes. working from home. Yeah. So, but we all have somewhat flexibility within our work schedules where there are, you know, people that work in a manufacturing plant where you check in at 8 a.m. and you check out at 4 p.m. and you have a task you do for eight hours a day and there is zero flexibility around that. So we also have to keep in mind the type of jobs we're talking about and being able to also allow the people in those kinds of roles work-life balance and things like that. So I, I think it it's nice if you work in a cushy office job mm -hmm. to be able to put in your you know four hours of FaceTime a week and put do the rest at home or conference calls or whatever but I feel like we also have to be fair and keep um, the other types of roles in our society in mind when we're talking about flexibility, work-life balance, things like that. Yeah, and I, I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole, but I think that's a, you know, a, a function of how the economy has changed so much recently. And you know, we may, there's problems with unemployment, especially youth unemployment, and maybe it's about the fact that that person shouldn't need to be there eight hours a day, check in. Why can't they get the same salary and work six hours and we have another person that has that other six hours? And you know, there's, talks, there's so many different things down that vein as well. Um, but, I don't, but I think that's a very, very valid point that we have to keep, be mindful of um, you know, people who have other jobs and other experiences than, than us as well. Um, I want to bring it back to you know other stereotypes of our generation, and you know one of them is millennials are immature, and like university students are immature, which is a you know half 
let's say, or maybe a third of the demographic. But in general, like we're not just irresponsible, we're immature. Um, what do we think? Do we think like us and our peers are immature? And you know, how does that factor into what society has told us? I think there's levels of immaturity in every age demographic, and if anybody were to say that they were more or less mature than they were at my age, I'm sure if they really thought about it for like they did some, they had some stupid you know ide ideologies or they you know or they just behaved immature in, in some way, but like when you're young, you're young, right? You sometimes you you do immature things and act a fool, so. It's relative, too. Like, I had a friend tell me that I'm the same person today as I was when I was 14. And it's nice that I... Are you? So you were mature much. Like I've been, I, was a, I was just kind of level-headed, never really did anything too crazy, still enjoyed myself. And I had people around me that were far more studious and serious than I was, and way more immature. But I was still immature in some of the conversations I had with friends throughout the years. I still had moments of immaturity in my interactions with my family. Like, it's, it's definitely relative. And I think that even, like you said, every generation, you're going to have 60-year-olds right now, this today, that are still behaving like, you know, stupid 20-year-olds. So it, it definitely, I think that assigning the term immature to an entire generation is unfair. Do you think our generation is kind of accepted and internalized these labels though because like you know why don't you want to be called a millennial and a lot of people you know I thought about having millennial in the name of this show or other things and people are really against it they don't like that label because there's so many things associated with it but who are who are the older generations to tell us we're immature or we're irresponsible they were too right and it really comes down to what we think of ourselves I think we're just trying to like survive given our circumstances and if like we're trying our best right like um, we know we need a job we know like we need families at some point um, so we're working our way towards those things and we might have had to do it a different way than our parents did yeah but their circumstances were different also so we can't just say that we're immature they might recognize it as that but I think there's also, like if I think about our parents' generation, and a lot of them were you know, new immigrants to Canada, our firstborn generation, and there was a certain expectation of the level of effort and work they had to put in in order to afford a life and give our generation the luxuries that we've now maybe run with. Mm -hmm. I think that's also something we need to consider and also be thankful to our parents, but in a way they may have hindered our ability to do for ourselves um, learn for ourselves because they were so capable of building such a great life and providing us the things that we needed that we didn't have to get jobs when we were 14 like they did or didn't have to find a way to get through school because they supported us. So I also think that not to place any blame on them but they haven't well, I want to jump uh, yeah. in here because this is actually something I wanted to bring up is we've been labeled as a coddled generation and it's who would have coddled us. You know, this old, these older generations are saying we're coddled and we can't fend for ourselves and it's like, well, who would have taught us to behave this yeah. way? Whose fault is that? Right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and 
they did have to, let's say, in their opinion, you know, suck it up and work harder because they wanted to give us that better life. But how many barriers did they try to remove and how little did we have to fend for ourselves? And obviously, you know, that's not the case for everyone in our generation. I'm sure some people had much harder lives growing up than, than I did and than maybe some of you did. But overall, it seems that it was very much that, you know, work hard mentality, give my and that's kind of, you know, what the, the immigrant story typically is. I moved to this country and I worked really hard so my kids would have a better future. Um, and so it's, it's, is it not good that we kind of are able to live these lives and, you know, be less responsible at age 25 and things like that? Yeah. I mean, it's good for us. Right. right? Um, I think one thing to consider, too, is that now people in general have more global responsibilities, and back then there was more individual responsibilities and things that were important to an individual, like starting a family and buying a house and things of that nature, and now things like climate change and sustainability are more, so that takes up more of our brain power as well. So like we try to spread ourselves out with regards to our responsibilities, and school as well, like, um, focusing on our studies. That's just one example. One thing I want to, jumping back to what you said about, you know, how they, they thought they, you know, got a job and worked hard to give their kids a better future. You know, a lot of people complain about, you know, the workforce now and it's this weird thing about millennials, are, are, would they be willing to do those hard jobs? Would they be willing to go and sit in, in a manufacturing plant? And I'm not saying that those jobs are available, but, you know, I don't get the sense that many people are willing to work shitty jobs. That's what our parents did. They got a job they didn't like because it was important for them to have a steady home for their kids. We don't have those kids at this age, so we're going through this differently. Like, I don't want a crap job because I don't need, need that for my lifestyle. Well, right? you don't, but there I are, don't. Right. But you see that in general of millennials, like there's this sense of entitlement around, you know, I should have a job I care about. Yeah. That wasn't a consideration really for our parents' generation as much. Maybe our priorities are changing, if we can call it that. But I know even in like my own job search, which I'm like going through right now, right? So at first I wanted like a job where I could focus on my career and like be super involved um, and do something there. But now I'm thinking like, no, I do want to start a family. I do want to like focus on those other things. So if a job is just going to be for the sake of making money, like I'm, I'm slowly starting to like change that mindset of mine and, and be like, okay, sure. I can just have a job just to make money. Like that's fine with me now. Like I've like kind of given up on that, but like. I think it's yeah. important to have a certain level of job satisfaction. Mm -hmm. um, and that's either in the task that you're doing or believing in the mission of the company you work for. So for example, I'm not that thrilled about the job that I do on a day-to-day -day basis, but I still really believe in the company I work for. And for me, working a job is giving me the income I need to afford the lifestyle I want and to eventually provide for my kids because that's my end goal. There are people, even good friends of mine, that may not want kids and they're focused on their career and they're the ones who are seeking these lifetime jobs of that's going to be their source of fulfillment. And then you're going to have people somewhere in the middle who want jobs they like but also want to be able to go home to their family every day. And I really do feel that the stereotype, I mean I do see and believe in a little bit of this entitlement where people aren't, they'd rather not have a job than work a job they don't like. And I think that's something that has to change, but those are also the people who maybe are getting support from their, 
their parents who don't have to work a crappy job in order to afford their you know, beautiful downtown condo. So I think that there is, there is a big spectrum of people who work crappy jobs to live in crappy apartments, and then there are people who can be unemployed and just live a wonderful life that their parents have afforded for them, and there's everything in between. I think that's actually a really interesting point, and it's, it does just come down to priorities. And you know, something I experienced as well is I was of the impression I needed to love my job, but that's also what I had been told, right? Like growing up, I was supposed to have a job I wanted to work 10 hours a day at. That's what I was told, and you know, I should build my life around a career I love. And it's you know, more so shifted to, no, I can have a job that I enjoy, but it doesn't have to be what I define my life by. Is that, you know, is that a sense of maturity? Is that, is that us maturing and knowing you know, there are lots of jobs that have to get done? Or is that just a reprioritization? But also, you know, where did I get that mindset from? Someone told me as I went through high school and university. Well, when we were young, we were told that we could do anything, that we could be anything we wanted, right? And so that's all, all through public school, that's all you've been taught, that you can do anything and you can be anything you want to be. And so that's where this sense of, oh, my job needs to be important and it needs to be self-fulfilling comes from. Yeah, and I, I think. I think on like that comes to like, you know, the, the American dream or the Canadian dream. And like we were told, you know, if we worked hard and went to university, we'd get a good job and a nice house. That's what we were told. And that's kind of, that's not really the truth anymore. You know, our generation has more debt than ever. They have lower wages and they have more, they have less affordable housing. We're the first generation that's economically worse off than their parents. And that's, you know, just not what the older generation sold to us. But a lot of people can't find jobs now, right? And, and housing is more expensive. So it's harder to have, you know, the lifestyle that the older generation yeah. kind of like told us we would have, you know, we aren't able to get so easily as they told us. Is that not a sense of, a sense of entitlement? But who created that? Why do I have a right to an affordable house? You know, who, yeah. who said that's a right? It, and, you know, if we want that as a generation, we have to fight for that. We have to say, no, we think our generation should have affordable housing. They're not going to give it to us anymore. We were used to our parents telling us we would have these things. And now we're out on our own and we're realizing that's not true. Where is it at? Where is it at? Yeah. Right? And so is that not a sense of entitlement? And is it not now time, if we actually want those things, we have to start fighting for those things. We have to start fighting for better wages, more jobs, and affordable housing, and anything else. Or else it is a sense of entitlement. You know? And right now, I really honestly do feel that millennials aren't happy with how their lives are as a generation. They complain a lot, but that's all they do. They complain. Why isn't the generation, and you know, that comes down to why we're here overall is about politics. That is how you make that change. And if you get involved and you say, we should have these things, if we think our generation should all have affordable housing, you know, it's a, now we went from, t you know, our parents' generation giving us stuff to we have to fight f for the stuff we want because, you know, they're the homeowners, they're the ones who have all of the properties and that want to keep that and keep that money, right? It's up to us to say, no, you guys lucked out in this boom and got all of this stuff for really cheap. 
housing has like just gone crazy. University education has gone up like, you know, 40% in 10 years or something. I don't know if that's actually the right number, but it's a, an insane amount. And, you know, at some point we have to say this isn't acceptable because it's, it's hard enough for us and our generation with all of the debt. But think of the kids growing up now, it's getting worse. And our kids, it'll be way worse than that, you know. My kid will have, a, I'll have a hard time affording my kid's university education if I have a well-paying job, let alone a kid 20 years from now who doesn't have a parent who can support them. That's another interesting thing, because you were saying, like, I'll have a hard time affording my kid's education. But for me, in my mind, I'm like, I'm not even going to encourage my kid to go to university because, like, a lot of times you don't need that degree and I think our generation needs to realize that like our education isn't always valuable like how many of us are using what we learn on a day-to-day -day basis couldn't you just have learned that by apprenticing with someone um, oh it's so easy to say now but we were just told yeah. forever that we were going to university like for yeah. me yeah. it was not an option so that's what you had to do yeah right? See, and exactly like, and I was societal the, expectation I, as mm -hmm. well I was the first to go to university both my parents well, one didn't make it through high school and the other one made it through maybe one semester of university. And it was encouraged, but I feel like because of our parents' um, experiences, they would have also been okay if we would have gone into the workforce, but we would have had to do something. They wouldn't have just let us not do anything and be 18 living at home mooching, right? So I think that maybe it is true that our mindset has to shift and say, okay, well, there will be huge vacancies in the workforce by the time, let's say, my kids get there because all the boomers will be retiring. So there will be lots of opportunities in university education required jobs as well as trades and things like that. So I think that our generation has to be open to our kids having opportunities across the board and not saying like university or bust. Yeah. But again, really, it was the, like, the parents' generation that kind of told us, as a whole, it was a necessity. I very much thought, even, that was even instilled to me through high school. Mm -hmm. You know, the kids who weren't considering university were the dumb kids. Like, that's what I felt from the teachers, right? Like, you should go the track of university. And two-thirds of Canadian youth were, went to university. That's, it's a very high number. And the jobs just aren't there. You see now, you need a university education for so many jobs that really don't require it. Yeah. And so many people just go to university for the experience of being in school and moving out. And also, they, they just pick a degree. They don't, it doesn't align with the workforce and things like that, they just go. Is that something that the government could potentially influence and say, okay, we, in 10 years time, anticipate having gaps in these various um, areas of the workforce and then tailor the number of seats within certain university programs, tailor the offerings of the programs to meet those workforce needs, as opposed to still allowing, you know, kind of a shotgun approach to university and letting kids go into whatever they want and then hoping that enough of their skills are transferable to actually fit what the workforce needs. So you're saying have a job driven instead have of... Have a job driven. So if you know you're going to need engineers or biologists or humanitarians or political scientists or whatever you want, you can kind of tailor what's available. Reports on all this stuff exists, but that would require, you know, some massive integration of education system and uh, the workforce and the government to all work together to make this happen. And where there's so many, uh, you know, uh, there's 
provincial re regulations that change uh, from province to province and federal re regulations that would hard to be be so hard to, to coordinate but and I think again this is like quite a quite another big topic and it's kind of you know it's also changing the role of university university used to be for higher education to kind of learn what you're interested in not prepare you for the workforce right that's what college and apprenticeships were for. And you know, that's why university, we're pushing everyone into university, but it's not designed to prepare you for the workforce. And you know, I'm of the belief that there should be free education for everyone um, if it's preparing you for the workforce in that way. But I don't wanna, like, we're getting a bit off topic again because these, the, these are very interesting points, but these are the discussions I think our generation needs to start having because you know, this is talking about the future of society, and I, I don't see our generation having them at all. And I want to bring that to political engagement. You know, I find these topics very interesting, and I think they're very important for what we want to see in the future. Our generation is already the biggest age demographic in Canada and could have the most sway in the coming federal elections, provincial elections, everything. These are really important issues that, you know, I think we're better suited to have a strong opinion because we're the ones who have gone through the system as it currently exists. Why, who here would consider themselves politically engaged and why aren't you? Well, I think that's a great spot to end it on. Thanks to all of the panel for coming on and talking about this today. It's obviously something I'm very passionate about and I hope to instill that passion in all of you as well. And also to everyone watching, we're talking about our future and it's a very important thing. So I'd love to hear what your opinions are on this and thank you for watching The Safe Space. I hope to see you next time.